Hello everyone, it's so lovely to see you today, virtually, and it's so lovely seeing all those messages pop up and everyone connecting with each other. That's, that's what this is all about, for us to build connection and relationship, and from different parts of the world as well. It's so, so special. Now, today is Palm Sunday, and that has been celebrated by different believers in different ways throughout the world, 2,000 years of church history and tradition. And generally, I'm a fan of how different followers of Jesus have expressed their faith over the whole world in the last 2,000 years. And we learn so much from different streams and traditions and ways of expressing faith in Jesus. However, I have a slight pet peeve with my personal traditions way of celebrating Palm Sunday, which, forgive me today, we will press into. It will connect with some of the places of anointing we touched in then with Andrew's worship and also with Chris's talk last week. Please go back and listen to it if you haven't. It really frames what we feel God is saying to us as a community about this season. So, Palm Sunday, traditionally... Growing up, and possibly even in my adulthood, this involved children making crosses out of palm leaves. This is wonderful and lovely, but it couldn't be farther from the reality of the original Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. So I am going to put us into that historical context because I want us to feel the emotion, the energy, the controversy, the pain the anticipation of that day. So that day was five days before Jesus' crucifixion. It was the Sunday that Jesus marches into Jerusalem. All four Gospels give an account of this, quoting that he was fulfilling a very famous Messianic prophecy by a man called Zechariah back after the return from exile a few hundred years previously. This is quite unusual for all four Gospels to bring the same detail of this event. Jesus got on a donkey, he rode into Jerusalem, people laid branches, in one version palm branches and coats and proclaimed, Hosanna, the son of David is coming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus walks into Jerusalem on a donkey. However, I'm going to take you back now 2,000 years. In fact, I'm going to go back three and a half thousand years to try and put that in context for the people then. And when by the end of this, I hope we won't be making palm crosses much anymore. Or if we do, we will understand what they really symbolise. So Moses leads the people of Israel, 1500 BC roughly, out of an oppressive slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea into the desert where they are on the brink of entering the promised land. And they receive some laws, so a Torah, an instruction, a way of life at the base of Mount Sinai, instructing them how to live as a people that will show the world what God is really like, to be a light to the nations. And one of those we've talked a bit about is weaving in an idea of a rhythm or a festival life, a sabbat, a seven-year jubilee, and so on. And three of these annual festivals, very famously, were the ones that were to show their redeemed life with God and to mark different seasons in the agricultural year. Passover being one of them, Pesach, the Jewish feast that celebrates the lamb being sacrificed and literally the blood on the doorposts, meaning the angel of death passes over the Israelite homes 
And so they are released from slavery in Egypt to cross through the Red Sea into the desert at Sinai. This Passover was to celebrate not only the beginning of the harvest year, the springtime, but also their redeemed life with God when they were liberated from slavery. Fast forward into the time when the tribes settle in the promised land, initially under a series of deliverers and then kings. And there's a haphazard celebration of the Passover. In their good times, they will, but in their bad times, they forget and they worship the gods of the nations around them. Eventually, tragically, Israel is the northern kingdom that divides. The northern kingdom goes off into Assyria and the southern kingdom, Judah, some 150 years later, goes off into exile in Babylon. This becomes the beginning of what we call the Jewish dispersion or the diaspora. Now, I am, I am, I know that I'm speaking quickly, but please keep up with me. This is really important to understand the historical context of this moment 2,000 years ago. So there's this diaspora of Jewish communities across what became known as the Babylonian Empire, then the Persian Empire. A few returned, they rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls, but the majority of the community of Jewish people remained scattered across then what became known as the Greek Empire. Separated as they were from the temple, even though it had been rebuilt, and the sacrificial system, they started gathering together, meeting together, literally around scripture, prayer, and worship. These meeting houses is literally translated in the Greek as synagogues, so they would meet in synagogues scattered in their diaspora across the empire. However, they still wanted to identify as worshippers of Yahweh from across the nations. And so what became known as these festivals became known as the three pilgrim festivals, Passover, Shavuot, the giving of the law, which became known as Pentecost in the Greek, and then finally Tabernacle, Surakot, the end of the agricultural year, the ingathering of the harvest. And these three festivals were massive. They were massive in terms of national identity, political and social identity. Now, the, some very brave Jewish resistance threw off the oppression of Greece around mid-150 BC and established a brief period of independent Jewish rule in the region of Jerusalem and Judea. However, tragically, 63 BC, the Romans, they come in, they trample on Jerusalem, they massacre the priesthood and desecrate the temple, and they become the oppressors under which Herod builds a most extraordinary temple, which became an iconic symbol of Judaism in Jerusalem, and into which period Jesus was born. So when Jesus was born, devout Jews across the region, Jerusalem, Judea, and up in the north in Galilee, they wanted a Mashiach, a Christos, an anointed one, a Messiah to come, who would overthrow the tyranny of Rome, re-establish independent rule, perhaps reflecting that brief period of independent rule between the Greeks and the Romans, looking back to the promises of the golden age of Israel under the reigns of David and Solomon, looking forward to a son of David, a man of peace, who would come and establish independent Jewish rule. It was a word of Jewish nationalism in first century AD Jerusalem. So when Jesus got on that donkey and rode into Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy with a, in, in total self-awareness he was doing that, he was saying, I am the Mashiach, I am the Messiah, I am the Christos, I am the anointed one. Now, what is absolutely fascinating about the human condition and the ways of God 
is we often work out what we think it looks like to follow Jesus. And often Jesus is doing something completely different. They quote Zechariah, awful gospel writers. He knew what he was doing, fulfilling the prophecy. They knew what he was doing. The disciples knew, the religious leaders knew. Everyone knew he was saying he was the Messiah. What they didn't quote was the next verse in the prophecy from Zechariah. I think this is really important. I'm going to read this and we will understand the difference between how humans cause regime changes and how God causes a regime change. So in Zechariah, back just at the return of the Jewish people from Persian exile back in Jerusalem, a prophet called Zechariah encourages the people, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, gentle, humble, riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's what all four gospel writers were saying, that's what the disciples saw, that's what Jesus was fulfilling. The very next verse in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 10 says how he's going to come in victory. What sort of victory he's going to bring. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, which is Israel, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In another words, This king was coming not to establish another bloody revolution that would rise and fall, but this king was going to establish a whole new way to be human, a way of peace, not war, that would be established over the entire earth. The most courageous person in that scene, and there were some courageous people, when they were paying royal homage, the disciples and the children, to Jesus by laying their cloaks on the ground, that's what that symbolises, they were essentially saying, Yeshua, Jesus, you are the king, not Caesar, which is incredibly courageous. The religious elite, in an extremely misguided way, were courageous. They would they would stone to death anyone that would claim to be Mashiach, Messiah, apart from the person who actually was. There was some courage in that space, But the most courageous man of all was Jesus, because the moment he got on that donkey 2,000 years ago and rode into Jerusalem, he was saying, I am going to be crucified so that the world will know peace. I'm going to break this war. I'm going to break this endless desire for revolution. I'm going to break the battle bow. I'm going to break the way humans try and do life. And I'm going to completely realign it in the reality of me, of God's goodness, of his kindness, of his love and his justice. And the world has never been the same again. It's never seen war the same again. It's never seen childhood the same again. It's taking us 2,000 years to catch up on some of his ideas, but we're slowly but surely getting there. When he got on that horse, he sorry, when he didn't get on a horse, he got on a donkey. He was saying, I'm going, I'm going to lay down my life for the entire of humanity. I'm going to lay down my life for my closest disciples who are right here cheering me on, saying I'm the Messiah, the Meshach, the anointed one. By the way, Hosanna is not a nice 1980s charismatic childhood guitar word. It means this is the one who saves us politically, who delivers us from oppression. They are courageous. The religious elite, I'm going to die for them even though they're going to persecute me to death. And many of them actually will come to faith, not least one very famous one, Saul, who becomes Paul. 
and I'm also going to die for the Roman oppressors because actually they're not living how they were designed to live and they know it. They know they were born for something greater than what they've been reduced to. So I'm going on this donkey and I'm going to walk in. I am the king. I am the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one. But the way we're going to establish victory is through sacrifice. Not through conquest. It's no, the world is never going to be the same again. And the way that victory is going to be vindicated is a full and complete material historical resurrection from the dead. So when you have a palm cross in your hand, please don't think Jesus is the hippie. Love, joy, peace, and he feeds the hungry. Give him the honour he deserves for getting on that donkey and walking into Jerusalem, knowing because he was claiming to be the Messiah, the religious elite would have him crucified under Rome. So what is all that, as inspirational as it is and as historical as it is, and as much of our identity, our corporate global identity as followers of Jesus as it is, what has that got to do with us today in our current crisis where of the 198 nations in the world, according to the UN, only 18 have no tested cases of positive COVID-19? I think it's what... Chris was talking about last week, what we want to press into this week, the difference between what we think is happening politically, socially, economically, and what God is actually doing. So when Jesus got on that donkey and went into Jerusalem, people thought he was going to overthrow Rome and establish independent Jewish rule. What he was actually doing was going to his death in order to overthrow the tyrannical principle of sin and change the human heart so we could live as we're designed to live, which of course will bear the good fruit over time of the deconstruction of systems of injustice and oppression, which is the bad fruit of the bad roots. So he did something totally different to what they were thinking he was doing. And this is what we want to drill into today. Jesus taught last week, sorry, Jesus, Chris, Chris spoke last week on how the, the sheep representing us were nice and fat and cosy on that sheep pen, protected in lush grass, life was pretty easy, we were spoon fed and then suddenly we were thrust out onto the mountainside, learning how to do life in a very, very different way but that we've been trained and equipped with everything we need to, to be successful in this. So I'm going to read John 10, where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And he gives us some really, really helpful insights as to how we do life on the mountainside. As to how, in the, if thinking back to that original Palm Sunday, we get it right, we actually know what God's doing, rather than get it wrong and not have any idea. Peter actually, even right up after Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead, just before his ascension, still thought it was a socio-political vision, primarily. He still thought, he still said, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Just before Pentecost. He still thought it was about one regime change. He didn't realise it was a change of the whole entire way we're human, a heart condition change. And I think Jesus, in this time, he wants us to be in step with what he's doing. Not caught out, not confused, not bewildered, but actually accessing the voice of God, which enables us to be absolutely clear what's going on in our context. 
And he promises this in John 10. This isn't a wishful thinking that we would have clarity in what's going on. This is absolute concrete um, promise to the followers of Jesus. He is the good shepherd and we are his sheep in this analogy. So I'm going to read out from John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter by the sheep pen, by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters in by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, healed, restored. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, abundant life, fullness of life, and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I know. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Knowledge is the same as experience in the Bible. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. And what we see here is Jesus modelling a whole new way to be human, a true humanity, which is not the tree of knowledge of good and evil, us in our independence trying to work out what's going on, or even as Christians work out what God is doing, but us in full intimacy with the Father, just as Jesus modelled, hearing from him, living by his voice, His voice being the clarity, the direction, the path, the way that we live. And we see Jesus presses into this, particularly in the Gospel of John, again and again and again. I do what I see the Father doing. I say what I hear the Father saying, even the words and the way he says it. But we also see Paul pressing into this. Paul, who was such a man of the law before his radical conversion, who understood that that if he could only just obey all the commandments that Moses gave and the extra hedge of protection that zealous Judaism had built up to protect the world from the onslaught of Greco-Roman paganism, so zealous to do the right thing after his radical conversion, he used extraordinary expressions like, in his 
brilliant books on the freedom we have in Christ, particularly Galatians and Romans. Live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Just a radical new way to be human, which is about recovering intimacy with God and walking with him in partnership and intimacy and hearing his voice. So we think, we may think, COVID-19 thrust us on the mountainside. But actually, we hear from here, Jesus is the first word. He's the last word. He sustains all things. He is speaking to us and leading leading us and showing us how to do life. And this is a season where he's inviting us to press in more deeply to his voice, his personal, intimate voice to each one of us as individuals, to our households, to our extended community at Hope and around the world. He is inviting us to be closer to his voice. His voice will show us where the water is. His voice will show us where the grass is. His voice will protect us from any of the lies of the enemy. His voice is our life in this season. And that's the difference. In Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, they were trying to work out from what they knew of scripture, what God was doing. And they got it wrong. We have an invitation not to try and work something out from our observations and our analysis and our reasoning, but to lean into the living voice of God and hear what he's saying he's actually doing. And as we do that, we enter into the most extraordinary, living, dynamic, fruitful reality. This whole new way to be human. So how do we press in intentionally to hear his voice? And that's our discipleship question really for this week, for us as individuals and as a household. I want us to ask ourselves the question, ask God God the question, ask one another the question if we live with other people in our households. What does it look like for us to press more intentionally into the voice of God in this season? This is a simple question. But we have an invitation. There is a divine reset. We can start again if we've never, ever done this before. He's saying now is the day of salvation and restoration and favour for you. And for those of us who feel we've pressed into the voice of God, he's asking us to go deeper. Now, we represent the full range of household demographics and makeups here. We will have people who are in self-isolation for a very long time on their own, right through to households who essentially have no headspace from about 6am till 10 or 11pm at night, and maybe through the night, depending on the age of small children. But every single one of us is encouraged to press more intentionally into hearing the voice of God for ourselves. There are no excuses. Jesus lived in a multi-generational household, although he was single and didn't have children at the time of his ministry. In fact, during his adulthood until his crucifixion, very unusually for a Jewish man. He still lived in a multi-generational household or possibly on his own in rough terrain outside. He would find time to get up, get on his own and pray and hear the voice of the Father. So he knew what it was like in the wilderness years to be in complete self-isolation for 40 days in the desert. He also knew what it was like to connect with the Father in a multi-generational small cramped household those houses possibly Peter's extended family household in Capernaum would have had maybe at least two rooms but he knew how to connect with the father in those contexts and so a range of us are doing different things here at Hope and I want to highlight a few of them we have lovely Liz who has gone through a period 
of combating two kinds of cancer. And so although well in herself at the moment is under quarantine for 12 weeks, she can't leave her house. She's self-isolating on her own. However, she has instituted a rhythm where at midday, every day, she does her steps in her flat. And as she does it, she prays to God and connects particularly praying for people in her context that God has laid on her heart. And then we have Mays Green Farm. We have Silas and Annie, and Annie's, sorry, Silas's mother Mary with them. And they're looking to bring in a rhythm which is connecting with God in the Word together as a household at 9 a.m. in the morning, midday, around lunchtime, and then 6 p.m. in the evening. And then we have Andrew and Rebecca who are posting and mobilizing different hopers, which is fantastic. And we've loved every single one of them to post a morning prayer and thought for the day, 8 a.m. every day. And we call it our 8 a.m. prayers, but as Freddie rightly pointed out the other day, possibly yesterday, it was about 11 a.m. by the time we got there. So maybe we should call them morning prayers. But part of our rhythm is to watch those as a household and pray and have a little Bible time together. And then Paul and Grace Golf are interested possibly in hosting a midday Zoom if anyone wants to connect in with them and do a, a daily prayer with them. So different people are instituting different things both in their own households and in the bigger community. And I just want to speak personally to people, maybe a similar situation to ours, where there is no headspace between 6am till later at night. This isn't a time to say we're too busy, we can't. This is a time to say we absolutely can and we have to. So non-negotiably, whatever happens in my day, I make sure that I have a couple of times out on my own with a coffee in the Word. And most of the time, it involves me staring out of the window and talking to myself. I can't claim any super spirituality, but I can claim the little bit of headspace and the permission and the authorization. That is the most important thing that I need to do every day to be fun to be with, to be fully connected with the voice of God and see what he's doing in this season, to hear his voice in this season. So I'd encourage anyone, wherever you are on that spectrum, Ask God, what does it look like to press more intentionally into his voice? Let's not miss Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey like they did 2,000 years ago. Let's not miss what it really meant. Let's celebrate and see this extraordinary, magnificent king that turned the entire world the right way up, that crushed under his feet in his death and resurrection this endless war upon war upon war. And brought finally to the human condition a message of peace. Peace with God through the restoration of the human condition. Peace with one another and peace between the nations. That message never ever changes whatever context we're in. But this is a moment to draw in to deeper and greater intimacy with how we can be part of that unfolding story of bringing that message of peace and hope and restoration to the world. Bless you this week. We just, we love you. We love every single post or message or anything that comes up on the, the Facebook stream. We just love our community at Hope. It's so special and such a privilege. And our prayer and our desire and actually our confidence is all of us would thrive in this hostile environment. Because on the mountainside where we find ourselves... Jesus, the good shepherd, is right there with us, laying down his life for the sheep.
Thanks, Alice. Thank you. Great. So we'll come into land, come into land there, and um, you know we might say normally come forward if you want a particular bit of prayer, if something particularly struck you. Obviously, can't do that. But um, so I encourage you if there's something particular to chew on, and if you live on your own, give someone a, a ring and ask if you can talk and pray through. And um, you know what, what was what was striking you as Alice was speaking, or during our worship time. Uh, or if you're in a, in a if, with others in a household, then maybe take some time over lunch to to pray, to talk, talk this stuff through. And uh, yeah, I agree with uh, what Alice was uh, saying. Lord, we pray that through this time we do we do thrive and we do flourish. We recognise that you you are our peace, and we and we declare that you're you're our hope. We particularly bless and pray for um, everyone working in hospitals, uh, nurses, doctors. Um, People within hope who are doing that. There's a lot of people within hope who are in those places, and and in education, and in uh, recycling and rubbish collection, and uh, all the different uh, frontline services um, where people are really putting themselves out there. We bless you in Jesus' name, and may you know God's protection and 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 faithfulness and nearness to you. And uh, yeah, we just say, Lord, may Your kingdom come and Your will be done in and through this time. Amen. Great, so we'll finish there. Um, as always, do please keep us posted if we want to keep supporting each other as a church. Um, if there's people that you know that are, are not well connected and they need food and so on, uh, then, then let us know. And we, 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 Maybe as time develops, we might need to develop more of a system about how we can support people practically as a church. And so um, you know, do let us know if you're aware of people. Let's all be eyes and ears um, out for that and for the possibilities is there. So then we've got uh, this week, just a reminder, the, the notices were at the beginning, so you can always rewind and see those. But um, Tuesday, 24 hours of prayer. Thursday, there's a citywide um, prayer event on Zoom, which we're not organising, but we're going to be part of. And then Friday, we've got a Good Friday service at 4 o'clock on Zoom. All the details will be on our Instagram and Facebook pages. And um, some of that was in our fortnightly email as well, which went out on Friday. Great. Lots of love. God bless you. Bye.